0: Matthew 14, we will uh, look at verse 26 through verse 31, Matthew 14, 26 through 31. Yeah, meant, meant to mention uh, the Reeds are traveling, they're visiting some Bible colleges. They're taking Nathan to Crown, then they're going down to Pensacola, and they'll hook up with Hannah. So uh, keep them in prayer. That's why Brother Aaron was not teaching uh, this morning. So I was going to say something to Adam Morell, but Brother Adam decided to be in church today. Praise the Lord for that. Uh, I don't know if they've scheduled a surgery for you or not, but okay. All right, if you're able to stand, Matthew 14, Matthew 14, Begin, beginning at verse 26. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is the Spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, I highlighted this, he walked on the water. To go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretching stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? I do not believe Jesus was harsh to Peter. I do not believe when he said, O thou of little faith, wherefore did you doubt? He was not being harsh at all. But he was giving clarity to the reason that he was sinking. There is so much between verse 22 and where we read. Let's just see where it takes us. Father, we love you. Thank you for the Bible. May the Holy Spirit teach us, instruct us this morning. We're thankful for these historical records that they're not just for history, but they're for our benefit, our faith, our instruction. And we pray, Lord, that you'd meet the needs of the people in the room this morning. You know the difficulties the struggles, the heartaches that people are facing. You know the counsel that people need. You know the spiritual condition of everybody in the room. And I pray that our ears and our heart would be turned to you. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. Okay. Back in Matthew 14, I need to fill you in on a few things we didn't read. And if you weren't here Sunday night, I need to fill you in on that as well. So as we've been progressing through the book of Matthew, the Lord Jesus last Sunday night, you may not have been aware of it, but he did it last Sunday night. Uh, last Sunday night he fed over 5,000 men and with just a few fish and a few loaves of bread. It was awesome. It was incredible. He did he recorded it though, so it's you missed it, but he recorded it. It's possible that there could have been 20,000 people there because it says it just mentions that's how many men, it doesn't mention the ladies and the children and just could have been a lot of people. Now, it's interesting the Lord Jesus used the disciples to distribute all of this food. Now imagine let's say 10,000 people, imagine 10,000 people, and they see you as part of this little group that's bringing uh, the delivery service. Um, What do they call that? That fast food delivery? Okay, what is it? DoorDash, yeah. So the DoorDash... Uh, they see you coming like the, the DoorDash over and over and over again. And they don't have to pay for it. It's free. You think they're going to like you? I think you're going to be a good friend. They're going to look on you with favor. So I'm going to present something to, that I think is my opinion. But anyways, <clears throat> so you've got some 10,000 people that they're... Uh, of course, they've heard the Lord Jesus Christ preach, and, and now they've received this provision, satisfied their bellies, and people love it when their bellies are satisfied. Uh, <clears throat> and they're aware this was free. And they're looking at the men who have made this possible. And I'm just, I believe that their opinion of them has went from, let's say here, just way up here, in admiration... Maybe they had begun to put even some of these men on a pedestal. I'm just possible. Because what takes place next after this big crowd, we come to verse 22, verse 22. And straightway, that means immediately after everybody was fed, after the preaching service was over, and of course, they probably had the preaching first and then the feeding because you can't listen when your belly's full. And straightway, Jesus constrained His disciples to get into a ship and to go before Him unto the other side while He sent the multitudes away. And so, it is obvious His disciples didn't want to go. He had to constrain them or compel them or urge them, you need to get in that boat and you need to go to the other side of this lake. It was either for they needed a break, which very well could have been the reason, or he knew, I need to get you away from this crowd. According to the Gospel of John, they were talking about making him king. And so, it wasn't time. We know Jesus is the king, but he knew it wasn't time. By the way, he knew, as you and I ought to know, there is no crown without a cross. There never will be. The unfortunate situation of American Christianity, for the most part, is we got our crown without a cross. But the real crown comes when you're willing to endure, stay faithful in the times of suffering. Because, let's face it, living for Jesus in this ungodly world is not going to be easy But I'd much rather live for Jesus in this world than live without Him in this world. Because if you think, well, if I just reject Jesus, I'll avoid trouble, you are greatly wrong. You are seriously not thinking right. Because the fact is, trouble comes to everybody. And I'd much rather go through it with Jesus than without Jesus. And so anyways, Jesus sends His disciples off, and then He dismisses the multitude, verse 22, uh, 23, and when He had sent the multitudes away, He went up into a mountain apart to pray, and when the evening was come, He was there alone. I just want to pause on some of this. I realize I've got an area here that I want to emphasize, but there's so much in this narrative little gold nuggets for my soul, I've got to share them, because they've benefited me. Jesus sends the disciples away, Jesus sends the multitudes away, and the Bible says Jesus gets alone to pray. As a man, because Jesus was 100% man, as well as being 100% God, the word Emmanuel means God with us. Yet, as a man, he must be our substitute. You can't be a substitute if you don't wear the same uniform. And as a man, by the way, you needed a substitute and I needed a substitute. You say, what are you talking about? Well, I'm saying this. If he wasn't our substitute, then guess who's going to have to die and pay for your sins eternally? Us, the one in the mirror not the neighbor, no. And there is no way out. We could never live a good enough life to earn our way to heaven. No matter what you think of yourself or what others think of you, you and I will never be able to live a good enough life. We are sinners in our very heart. We're naturally selfish. We, it's just there. And if we're honest, the sooner we're honest, the better. But the good news is, God knows that. When you and I know that, we're on the same page. And God says, I've got a Savior for sinners. And it's Jesus Christ. And so Jesus was our substitute. But as a man, He did His work on this earth. As a man, He did this redemptive work. He had to do it as a man. And so He lives this perfect life. So here we see Him as a man knowing physically I need to be alone, to refresh myself with the Father, to pray. That means to ask, to call on God for help. To seek His strength, and to seek His wisdom, and to seek His guidance, and to be refreshed in His presence. And what, a, what an example, because He's not just our Savior, ladies and gentlemen. He's our example, and there are definitely times for those who are in ministry, let alone all Christians, but all Christians should be involved in some type of ministry. There are definitely times when we need to get alone and refresh ourselves with the Lord talking, communing, and seeking His strength and His wisdom. We have His Word to help us. and So we see Him getting alone. We come to verse 24. But the ship was now, so Jesus gets alone. He prays. He sends His disciples across the sea. It says, in, uh, well, the ship was now in the midst of the sea. Uh, according to some reports, uh, John, I think it was the Gospel of John, says there are 20 to 30 furlongs out. And I know... Uh, it's not like uh, we use the word furlong. That's an old term. So how about I say this? They're about, they're about two and a half miles out. How's that? that? That's still a long ways out in the water. They're out there. And uh, <clears throat> in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night... Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. So I want to make a couple more statements here. Here the disciples are. We get our eyes back on them. They're all in this boat. Uh, some commentators believe the boat was probably about 30 foot long. Been about an average size for a fishing ship, fishing vessel in this, the Sea of Tiberias there. And, and so <clears throat> uh, they're all in this boat And they're making their way to the other side, but the winds are going against them and they're struggling. It would have been easier to go back to go with the wind. Now, I want to compliment the disciples for a moment. You see, they obeyed the Lord. They got in this boat, they got in it together, and now they're all paddling against the wind. But they're going the right direction. Rather than turn back because that's easier. They kept pressing on. And I'll just say this. As a Christian there are times when it seems like it's easier to paddle back. Because you can just coast it seems like. Because your flesh says I just want to go back. But you're going to miss something absolutely amazing. If you don't press on. And. Out of their love and loyalty to Jesus Christ, they kept beating the waves, and they weren't making a lot of progress. I'm having complications with this thing again. I'm about ready to give up on this wireless deal, so-called. Anyways, sorry. I feels good to decompress with my complaints, and glad I got it out. Um. So they're out there. It's dark, the fourth watch, three in the morning. Uh, and the waves are out of control. They're not making headway. They're in this storm, and in their mind, they're without Jesus. And the Bible tells us, now you've got to get this picture. He's come down from the mountain. He's finished his time in prayer. And he starts making his way to them. He's walking on top the stormy waters. Two and a half miles, he's walking across the stormy waters. Like a walk in the park. He gets to a particular, uh, a certain distance, and the disciples, maybe with the starlight at night, or maybe there was a little bit of a, a, a moon light, and they're able to see a shadow, a phantom. It looks like a ghost. They see a shadow of a man coming, and they're absolutely fearful. We know it's Christ. They don't know it's Christ. He didn't tell them, hey, I'll meet you out in the middle of the sea. He didn't tell them that. <clears throat> so, they see him, and they're absolutely fearful. They're in this storm. Now, here's something that you need to be mindful of. Were they where Jesus wanted them to be, yes or no? Amen. But a storm still came. If, if you were under the impression following Jesus is without storms, you're wrong. As a matter of fact, sometimes he lets us go right into him. It's not like he didn't know. He lets us go right into him. But again, again, I'd rather go through a storm in fellowship and obedience with Christ than knowing uh, this storm is a result of my disobedience. Disobedience. Hey, listen, I know I've created some storms with my disobedience. Anybody here like that? You ever, your disobedience created some storms? Okay, four of us here did. But the reality is this, to know that the storm is on me because of my obedience, now that can bring some quandaries to my brain. Uh, What is going on? Here he comes. And then to add, the fear of the the storm was only excelled by the fear of the phantom. That's the Bible says it. They feared. They feared greatly. They were fearful. But as soon as the Lord Jesus acknowledges their presence, they acknowledge him. They don't know for sure who he is. Look what he does. He puts them at ease. It is I, be not afraid. The Lord Jesus doesn't want us to be afraid of him. It is I, be not afraid. I don't know how far away from the boat he was at this time. I don't know if he was uh, 100 yards away, 50 yards away, 75 yards away. I don't know, but he was still a good distance away. But his voice, his voice had a reassuring effect. The Bible does say, uh, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. They know his voice. And that had a reassuring effect. And there's Peter. All the disciples are uh, together there. And here's Peter. This episode is only found in the book of Matthew. This little clip. All right. I have Tourette's. This episode is only found in the book of Matthew. So uh, look at verse 28 again. We read it. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. I just wonder what the other fellows were thinking. (laughs) It's Peter again. You know how quick he opens his mouth. You mean he wants to jump out in this storm tossed lake? I know it's Jesus out there, but he. And so we don't hear what the other disciples are going through. We only hear about the dialogue between Peter and Jesus. And Jesus says one simple word come. That was enough. That was enough. I guess the title would be this. The venture of faith. The venture of faith. I want to say something here. Peter didn't have to get out of that boat, did he? Four of you shook your heads. Uh, He didn't have to get out of the boat. Jesus did not rebuke the other disciples for for not getting out of the boat. He did not have to get out of the boat. But something else we need to remember... He certainly didn't rebuke him for wanting to get out of the boat. He certainly did not rebuke him for wanting to come to him. Not at all. We've got to be careful. Uh, as we consider this narrative, Jesus walking on the water, I don't know if it felt like jello, like a waterbed. Remember the waterbed days? I remember those days how did people sleep on those things the fear of some kid sticking a needle in that at night but uh, my mother had one I remember jumping on it I never worried about it busting I guess but I don't know how it felt but here he is walking on the water and He's walking. He is walking on the water. And then he sees the waves, boisterous, or the wind boisterous, which in essence means he saw the work of the winds on the water lifting up. They got his attention. He took his eyes off Jesus. He looks at the storm. He's focused on the storm. Now he's mindful of his own weakness. He's mindful of his own humanity. He's mindful of his own limitations. And he begins to sink now, we're, we're, most people are aware of this story, and we're aware that he sunk, but his failure does not remove the success that he once had. It, uh, just because he failed doesn't mean he wasn't trying to do something that was good. You know, I failed at a lot of things. Some things I'm thankful God let me fail at because I know that they weren't His will. Have you ever endeavored into something and you weren't sure it was His will, but you did it anyways, only to flounder, lose money or whatnot, and it's like, oh boy, I don't think God was in this. Yeah. So we're not talking about that type of scenario. We're talking about a scenario where God gave approval. Come. Come. You know, I can imagine Peter saying, Well, I don't see anything in the Scripture that says, Thou shalt not walk on water. And uh, number two, I have a desire to walk on water. And number three, the Word has just approved it. And even though the fellers in the boat with me are not interested, I sure am. I'd like to experience it. That tends to always separate those who excel in their faith and grow And experience Jesus at a different level. They seek the will of God. They step out in faith and they venture, and they may fail. But they fail at something wonderful. They fail at something that was a good venture. But they failed. They failed. Well, as I consider this whole dialogue, I meant to emphasize it's the beginning. I'm going to have to come to it here a little bit later, but I'm going to come back to what we're talking about here in just a moment. When all is said and done, when all is said and done, we look at verse uh, thirty-three. It says then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him saying of a truth thou art the what son of god all 12 of those disciples through this whole experience being sent off even Peter jumping out of the boat and walking on water through this whole experience And maybe if it was a situation where the Lord was concerned about their pride and the people exalting them, if it was a situation when all is said and done, the Bible says they worshiped the Son of God. It's like they knew exactly who He was and who they were. And they understood their need of Him, And they acknowledged him for who he was, and they understood that we are nothing without you. I meant to summarize that, but I want to come back to this little story inside the story with Peter. So Peter is sinking, and of course the great truth there for us to remember is this. Often, often, as we're cruising along on the sea of life, and sometimes the sea of life is smooth waters and we, we don't feel like we need to exercise faith. It's not that difficult to come to church and smile and be a good Christian. But then storms come, tragedy, crises, and all of a sudden it can, almost, it can feel overwhelming and if we don't watch it, eventually, though we know what we're supposed to do, we have our eyes focused on the things that are out of our control, we begin to sink. How do you know you're sinking? Well, your emotions usually give way to it. The Bible says he was fearful. His emotions first gave us evidence he's sinking. And then, of course, the scriptures tell us he, by the way, he could swim. He could sw- Peter could swim, In John 21, when they're on the boat after the resurrection, who swam to shore? It was Peter. It's not like he could, these were fishermen, he could swim. But you know, you get overwhelmed sometimes, you- it's almost like paralysis. And he's sinking. And Jesus says, O thou of little faith. Why'd you doubt? Spurgeon said this. Spurgeon said, it's pretty amazing what a little faith could do. A little faith got him out of the boat. A little faith got him walking on water. And even though he sank, a little faith had enough sense to know where to turn when it was sinking. Oh, thou of little faith. Well, thank God, even if you got a little, that's a lot. If you have faith of a grain of a mustard seed, Jesus said you could move a mountain. Well, that's not a whole lot there. It doesn't seem like. Because really, it's not the amount of faith. It's where you put the faith that matters. And so, Peter gets, calls out, cries out in desperation, fully aware of his limitations. Jesus immediately lifts him up. And notice this statement. Notice this statement. In verse 32. And when they were come into the ship, the wind ceased. So you've got to visualize this. While Peter's in the water, the wind is still blowing hard. The waves are still blowing high, moving high. And uh, while they're still in the water, thus far, Peter has walked on water. He is sinking. Jesus is walking toward him. Peter's walking toward Jesus. And uh, Peter begins to sink because he takes his mind off Jesus. Lord, save me. And I'm glad the Lord hears short prayers. And he immediately reaches down, picks them up. But you got to visualize this. I don't know how much farther they had to go, but they walked back to the boat together. Both of them on top of the water while, it was, while there was a storm, while the wind was still blowing. And when they get back into the fellowship, it ceases. Now, there's something here that I found kind of fascinating. I believe this, and I'll just kind of conclude it with this. What we have in this little story within the story, this little episode of Peter and Jesus, I really see here the progress of a Christian life. The progress of a Christian life. You see, every single one of us, every single one of us at one time, we called, if you're saved, if you know Christ as your Savior, if if you've been born again, if, (laughs) if you have, you know what I'm talking about. Okay, you started off with a little bit of faith in the right person. You put it in Jesus Christ. And because you're in church, you've read your Bible maybe, you, you're, maybe you tithe, maybe, and you hand out gospel tracts and that sort, <clears throat> you, have, you have stepped out of that comfort zone a little bit, and you have exercised some faith. I mean, for some of you, the tithing, that was a big issue. That was stepping out of the boat for you. Uh, for some of you handing out a gospel tract, that was stepping out of the boat for you okay, uh, for some of you, maybe you, prayer and fasting, and you, you made a commitment, and you didn't keep it, <laughs> but that was stepping out of the boat for you, you know, uh, 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 but you, you tried, you tried, you ventured something, because you knew this, this would please the Lord, this is the direction of fellowship with the Lord, and again, when Peter asked, to leave the ship and walk on water, it was to come to Jesus. It was to get close to Jesus. And he does walk on water. That's his motive, to get closer to Jesus. Nothing can keep us from Jesus if, if we exercise faith. Nothing. It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter the circumstances. Nothing can keep you from Jesus if you're willing to exercise faith. You can, he, he's a prayer away. So Peter's walking on this water, and this is the way we begin. We walk, and maybe we begin to make decisions. We start cleaning up our lives because as we get closer to him, it's like, I know the Lord, he wouldn't approve of this, this stuff in my life. Uh, Jim, Beam, you're no longer welcome. And Jack, you've got to go too. And Bud, we're not friends anymore. You all with me? And things begin to change because you're venturing to get close to him. And who knows, maybe there's some music. You know, you just listen to the music. You don't listen to the words. And all of a sudden, the words start standing out you got this cuss word here, that cuss word there, this cuss word here, and all of a sudden you say to yourself, "Ooh, uh, uh, this is not conducive to me getting close to Jesus. Uh, I'm going to get rid of that. And so you walk and walk. Oh, but then a storm comes. Oh, troubles come, and you go back to your, the things that were easy for you. You go back to those old dependencies. Those easy comforts. And they just put you deeper. They sink you a little bit deeper. And then you, hit, you get down and maybe some tragedy comes and you say, Lord, save me! And you get, and the Lord comes and He lifts you up again. He lifts you up again. All, you, all those things that you'd ventured in faith, all, it, it's like, well, messed up. But you say Lord save him he picks you up and he's in the picking up business. He picks you up. But this time they make it back. But it's not the two of them coming together as separate entities getting close now. This time they return to the ship maybe arm in arm. <laughs> Or maybe right next to each other. I'm walking on water. Even in the storm. And where's Jesus bring them back to? He brings them back into the boat with all the other brethren. He brings them back into this fellowship. You know the church is a fellowship. And I don't know about you, but I have. I certainly remember, and I'm, I'm familiar, I'm pretty aware of many testimonies in the room where you ventured faith and you failed. You failed. I mean, you tried, and nobody's knocking you for trying. Nobody's knocking you for trying and failing. Nobody. But you understood the pressure and the consequences and the pain of failing, and all you could do is cry out, Lord, save me. And the Lord shows up and He picks, He gives you grace and He picks you back up. But now it's like, you know, I need the every hour. I need to be with you. And I know where you're leading me. And I'm willing to follow you every step of the way. And you know, the beauty is, the Lord his tendency is to bring those people who have fallen back into a fellowship with other believers. Now the other guys could say, well, we didn't sink, but you didn't venture. They didn't get rebuked for not stepping out, but Peter didn't get rebuked for stepping out. You know, when all was said and done, Peter would have an experience that none of them would have. He's a miracle worker. He can help me rise above the storms and troubles of this life and stay on top of it. Maybe that's why the Bible says, set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. Maybe that's why the Bible says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before us endured the cross, despised the shame, and is set down at the right hand of God. Consider him who endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be weary and faint in your mind. Maybe that's why the Bible says those things. To help us when the storms of life are really starting to overwhelm us. Ah, you can rise above those. Faith can keep you above the water. In Jesus. In Jesus. Man. Man. We were all over the place here. That's called uh, overstudying. My prayer was, though, that the Lord would help me emphasize what you needed to hear. Because I know that so many different situations in the room, but God knows them all. There might be somebody in the room who absolutely doesn't even know they're going to heaven. There might be people in the room who, honest to goodness, if they died, they would die and go to hell. And for them, they what they need, all they need is a little faith. Trust Jesus. To reach out and say, I need you, and let him be your Savior. For them, that's the most important thing. There are others, you've been saved for a long time, but you've been in neutral. You've never ventured, you've never stretched it a little bit for the glory of God. Maybe the Lord's saying, come on, come on in, the water's fine. So what if you fail? If you fail doing right, I'll pick you up. Amen. See, maybe, maybe it's the choir. The Lord's saying, you need to get in the choir. Maybe, maybe it's working in the nursery. Maybe it's working as an usher. Maybe it's just saying, I need to start handing some gospel tracts out. I need to share my faith with people. And I haven't done that for years. And I'm going to do it. I'm going to try. I'm going to talk to somebody the Lord's put in my heart. Hello? So well, I failed in the past. That's the past. You're living now. The venture of faith. The Lord is waiting. You want to come? Come. Let me show you great things I can do. Lord, may you bless this service. Minister to our hearts with heads bowed and eyes closed. With heads bowed and eyes closed, let me ask you all this question. Maybe there's some folks in the room who'd say, preacher, that's me. I I do not know that I'll go to heaven when I die. I, I don't want to die and go to hell, but I am not certain that I'll go to heaven. I'm just not certain. If that is you, if, you, if you'd be willing to lift your hand, I'll pray for you. Is there anyone like that that would say, that's me. Pray for me. That's me. Pray for me. Anybody like that at this time? Say, preacher, that's me. Just look around. All right. You know how the Lord has spoke to your heart. You do as the Lord leads. What is it that you'd like to venture? What is it that you know God would be pleased if you stretched your faith in that area. Lord, I pray, touch hearts. Bless our invitation now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Brother Brian, come on up.